Well, good morning, worship team. Thank you guys for leading us amazing this morning. Really, really appreciate you guys. Well, gentlemen, guys, and ladies, we are two weeks away from spring break, people. That's what I'm talking about. In two weeks, by this time, you guys will not be here, but you guys will be spread out, of course, uh, all of course, uh, a series of different amazing vacation destinations. And so it seemed fitting in light of that, uh, that we would talk a little about airports this morning. So specifically speaking, as you guys pull it up for me a little bit, uh, specifically speaking, uh, you guys know I'm a huge Fallon fan, and uh, Fallon uh, a few weeks ago had, or oh, last year, had a hashtag bit on airport fails, Okay. A few weeks ago, uh, Fallon had a deal that talked about a series of different uh, tweets that came in about different experiences people had in airports and how horrific and how horrible they were, all right? Uh, from one dude who said uh, he went up and uh, a lady came up to him and said, we're just so grateful for everything you do. And he said, you're welcome. It's a, it's a privilege. It's a blessing. What he didn't realize, though, at the time was that it's actually referring to the soldier that was behind him at the time, all right? Here's another one for you guys. One person said, my flight was delayed, so I took a nap in the terminal and woke up to find that someone had taken my sock off and laid it on my head. <laughs> Hashtag airport fail. Or how about this one? Went to set my bag down at my gate and the zipper caught onto my shorts and pulled them completely down. <laughs> how horrible would that be, right? Here's another one for you. I once dropped my pen in the waiting area and when I reached in between the seats to grab it, I grabbed a barefoot man's toe, all right? At airports, we have all kinds of difficulty. Things always seem to go awry. And so in the midst of your great hopes about a vacation or the destination that you're wanting to go to, in an airport, all kinds of difficulty can break out. If something can go wrong, it probably will go wrong at an airport. But the reality is, no matter the difficulty that you guys found in an airport, no matter the difficulty that you guys may experience along the way to your spring break destination, you're inevitably and usually going to still get there. In much the same way this morning, we're going to talk about work in the future and the future destination of work. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about the difficulty of work and why work has been made so difficult for us now. But despite the difficulty that we experience in work now, what we're going to look at this morning is where is God leading work to in the future, specifically the future destination of work. Over the course of the last six weeks, we've looked at the design of work. We've looked at the dignity of work. We've spent last week looking at the difficulty of work. And this morning, we're going to culminate looking at the destination of work. Specifically, will we work in the future? When we're in the presence of Jesus Christ, when we're on the new heavens and the new earth, when we're looking at heaven and experiencing heaven, will we work? That's where we're going to go this morning. Uh, and as we go there, I'll tell you, for many of us, as we think about the future, as we think about work, there really is a dichotomy that we looked at at the very beginning of our series that separated faith from work and what have we, in terms of how we perceive it now. But that same dichotomy that separated the physical realm from the spiritual realm that made the physical evil and to be avoided and highlighted the spiritual, or even the same dichotomy between sacred and secular, that same dichotomy not just impacts the way that we view faith and work now, but it impacts the way that we view faith and work in the future. Just as that dichotomy separated faith and work now, so it, it colors and it obscures our view of the future, which is why for many, as they think about heaven, or as they think about their future destination in the presence of Christ, many people are confused and they're bored by it. I love this quote from Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven, and he says this, speaking of what he's heard people say. He's heard people say this, that I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium. To float around in the clouds with nothing but to do but strum a harp, it's all so terribly boring. 
Heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. And I'd rather be annihilated than spend an eternity in a place like that. Wow. As you think about heaven, as you think about your future destination, what is it that you imagine? You imagine being some weird spirit floating through the clouds with a harp. I don't know why it's always a harp. I'd rather have drums, right? (laughs) Singing, like that's all you're going to do, all right? And I love our moment of worship this morning, but the idea being that's all I'm going to do all day long for eternity. (laughs) Some of you who maybe struggle to even engage emotionally this morning in worship, you go, I'm going to do that for eternity? And all of a sudden there's this sinking feeling in your stomach and you go, that's it? I think for many of us, as we think about heaven, we have this obscured and confused view of it, and we've really missed the point. And what I want to do this morning is reconstruct for you a view of heaven that includes work. That's why we're going to look at the destination of work this morning. And I'm really going to kind of highlight this for you guys. I'm going to throw you guys a few questions as we kind of begin this morning. First is this. As we saw already in our series, if God designed work and handed it to us in a garden before there was sin then might it be possible that in a garden that's, or in a city that's going to come that we would work one day? If God handed work to you and I in a garden or in a paradise that was lost, then when that paradise is regained in the new heavens and a new earth, is it possible that we would work? That's where we're going to go this morning. And if it's possible, and that's a huge if that we were going to look at this morning, if it's possible that we would work in a future kingdom that's going to come, then how would that shape your view of work now? And one last question for you. Is it possible to draw a line, even a dotted line, that would show some kind of continuity between our work now and our work that's going to come? Is there any continuity? Is there any correspondence? Is there any connection whatsoever between my investment in work now and what work will one day be in a future day that's going to come? Is there any continuity? And if there is a kind of continuity then what does that say about my work now? For many of us, we've disconnected faith and work, not only now, but we've disconnected faith and work even in the future. And so we look at a future and we don't see work, we don't see anything concrete or sometimes anything compelling at all about it. And so what we want to do this morning is help reimagine the future for you and therefore by proxy help reimagine work for you. As we look at the destination of work, There's two different trends that I want to kind of go against that really, I think, have caused confusion and boredom for us as we think about the future. And the first trend is this, that for many of us, as we think about the future, there is an overemphasis on destruction. That as you and I think about the future in a new heavens and a new earth, and we think about what we're presently on and what we're presently experiencing, I want to submit to you that you and I have an overemphasis on destruction, this idea that God is going to burn everything. That everything that we invest our lives in is going to go down, sinking like a ship and burned up by flames, which causes some of us to go, why does it matter at all? For whatever reason, this week I was uh, caught by the clip uh, in the dark night where Alfred comes to Bruce Wayne and they're talking about this Joker character and Alfred begins to tell a story about a series of bandits who would steal diamonds and as they would try to track these bandits, they had a hard time finding them because these bandits would never actually trade the diamonds back. (laughs) They would just kind of throw them away. They'd give them away. That it wasn't at all about the diamonds or about what they could gain from stealing the diamonds, but it was all about destruction. And so his classic line in that quote in that sequence of script is, some people just want to watch the world burn. All right? And I think for many of us that are serious about our Bibles, as we think about the present world, we're a little bit like an insane joker. (laughs) There's a delight that we just think everything is going to burn. And where do we get that idea? Reality is we get it from our scriptures, right? 
And so what I want to do is I want to throw, throw you a series of passages that highlight this idea that I think we've kind of gone too far on, and then I want to rebalance it for you, all right? But there's an overemphasis on destruction, and I think it comes from passages like 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Notice what Peter tells us. He says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Peter says very emphatically that everything that you're experiencing now, the very earth that you're on, will be burned up and it will be destroyed. So of course we have an overemphasis on destruction. The Bible says this is what's going to happen. In fact, I want to zero you guys even further, not just away from the idea of everything being burned up, but in a series that we've been talking about work, I want to highlight specifically for you what uh, the scriptures tell us about work in the future and the judgment that's coming on it, all right? Uh, specifically, in a passage like uh, Psalm chapter 48, verse 7, the psalmist looks at his culture and he says this, that one day, a day is going to come in which God is going to break the ships of Tarshish. That might be a very random verse <laughs> that you've never heard quoted or read or taught from, but here we are this morning, all right? You break the ships of Tarshish. What's happening? Well, the ships of Tarshish were an element of the commerce and of the business and the industry of the day. And God is looking on that industry, or, and the psalmist says that God is going to come one day and he's going to break those ships. Again, the terminology, the figurative analogy there is clearly that of destruction, potentially. Uh, Isaiah, looking at a, a, a nation that is uh, contrary to God, he, he says this. He says that the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against. Notice the day of reckoning. Notice what's coming in the future and specifically what will come under judgment. Notice. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, which is the lumber industry, okay? <laughs> against all the ships of Tarshish, there they are again. And all the beautiful craft, all the artistry, all the different things. So you have lumber, you have ships, you have engineering, you have technology, you have craftsmanship. All of these different sectors or industries of a, of a business and of a culture. And, and the song, or Isaiah the prophet says, a day of reckoning is coming upon all of those things. Combine that with Second Peter 3. And the idea is God's going to just destroy and lay waste to all of it. All of it. That's what the scriptures are saying, but how do we understand them, what's happening here? Because the reality is, if the world is just going to go up in flames, and if everything is just going to be destroyed, then it feels like investing in the present world feels a little bit like polishing the doorknobs of the Titanic or shuffling the deck chairs of the Titanic because it's going down, baby, all right? It feels foolish. It feels meaningless. It feels like a waste of our lives and a waste of our time. I love this quote uh, from Tom Nelson. He says this, that when we, when we begin to grasp that the future destiny of work and our world is not complete annihilation, but radical healing, it changes how we view our daily work. If we believe that the earth, everything about it and everything we do on it is simply going to one day be abolished and disappear, then the logical conclusion is that our work is virtually meaningless. Why should we work hard, make a tasty meal, learn a new skill, run a business, write a piece of music, or design a building if everything will one day be consumed by fire? It would make sense to work only enough to survive or to simply get by. But if our daily work in some way carries over to the new heavens and the new earth, then our present work itself is overflowing with immeasurable value and eternal significance. God is going to come and he's going to judge the present world order. There will be a day of reckoning upon the present world order that we're a part of. 
But our overemphasis on destruction creates a sense of which that judgment is annihilation in a way that there's no continuity and there's no connection to the future. And when we move to that extent and we see no connection to the future, then of course everything now feels and seems meaningless if there's no connection whatsoever to the future. That make sense? And for so many of us, <laughs> when we've disconnected faith from work, and when we're faced by the difficulty of work, the difficulty of circumstances of a boss or of coworkers or of a failed project, we just feel like maybe it is meaningless. But if God gave work to us before the fall into sin in the garden, and if it's possible that's going to be present in the future that's going to come, then work again has meaning now because there is a connection that's going to come. And so there's two trends that I want to highlight for you that create a problem for us. And the first is that there's an overemphasis on destruction. We just look at these passages and we just determine that God's judgment is complete annihilation, complete fireball, in which everything and every connection that this present world order has with what's coming is demolished and done away with. And I think what we're going to see from a series of passages that I want to show you in a minute, that's not true. There is a connection and there is some kind of continuity between the present world order and what is going to come. Because the other two things that we have happening is not just an overemphasis on destruction, but the other trend that for many of us we have is an omission of the idea of restoration. That as we think of the future, and we think about the present responsibilities we have, it's not just that we have an overemphasis on destruction, which we think everything's going to be a fireball, but also that we have a complete omission on the idea of restoration. That what God is calling us to now be a part of, and what God is going to do in the future, is a restoration of all things, not just the destruction of all things. And that the judgment that he has is not just one of annihilation, but one of restoration and redemption. Let me show that to you. Two different ways I want to show it to you. First comes in uh, Isaiah chapter 60. So if you have your Bibles, I want you guys to flip to Isaiah 60 because we're going to spend a little time in this fascinating passage, Isaiah chapter 60. As you guys are turning there, I want to remind you guys, I showed you from Isaiah chapter 2 in which the prophet looking at his day said, a day is coming in which there will be a day of reckoning against the ships of Tarshish, against the cedars of Lebanon, and against all beautiful craft. He announces a judgment that's coming, but in Isaiah 60, he's going to provide a picture of that future day, not just of judgment, but also of restoration. And that picture in Isaiah 60 is fascinating on this topic of faith and work. This is a passage I never really zeroed in on until this semester, and I want you guys to see it because what we're going to see in Isaiah 60 in this picture of the future is a picture that has continuity with the present world order. Isaiah 60. To give you guys a little clarity as to exactly where we are and what this is talking about, I want you guys to pick up in verse 19. Isaiah 60, verse 19. Let's give you a little bit of a time reference. Notice what the prophet tells us in Isaiah 60, verse 19. He says, No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. And Isaiah chapter 60, verse 19, verse 19 provides us the clearest marker as to the kind of day that Isaiah is talking about. It's a day in which there is no sun because God's glory will be that which illuminates the day because these people are in the presence of God. This is Isaiah 60. This is a vision of a future kingdom that's going to come that is our hope. It is what we're looking forward to. And what we're going to see from Isaiah 60 is it's a kind of restoration that is way broader than typically what we think of as we think about the future. Isaiah 60 is fascinating. Verse 19 provides us a vision of what's to come. But notice verse 4, we get a simple command. 
that Isaiah has to the people, and I think therefore to us. He says in verse 4, lift up your eyes round about and see. As he's going to provide them a vision of the future, he's going to say to them, I want you to lift your eyes about and I want you to see, because what they're going to see, this picture of the future, will have an import of incredible significance back into their present lives. Because when you and I don't understand what's coming in the future, then we don't know how to see the present, especially when all we feel is difficulty. But Isaiah 60 is going to give them a vision of the future that will help them see their present circumstances differently. But what is it there to see? What's going to be present in this future day? Notice verse 5. Then you will see and you will be radiant and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you and the wealth of the nations will come to you. In this future kingdom that's going to come, what is present? Wealth. It goes further in verse 6. A multitude of camels will cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all those from Sheba will come, and they will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. That as Isaiah looks toward the future, what's present in this future world order? Wealth. Money. Elements for commerce. More interestingly, though, I want you guys to see verse 9. Notice what also comes in verse 9. Surely the coastlands will wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them. Men and women come forth to this kingdom, and they come from everywhere. And what do they ride upon? The ships of Tarshish. And what do the ships of Tarshish carry? Not just the people, but also their gold and their frankincense and their wealth that comes to the nations to worship their king. Fascinating here. Isaiah 2 says a day of reckoning is coming against the ships of Tarshish. (laughs) And Isaiah 60 verse 9 says, the ships of Tarshish will be the first who will come into the future kingdom. The very destruction, the very day of reckoning that Isaiah was pronouncing upon that industry, he will say in Isaiah 60 that industry will be present in that coming kingdom. Whatever judgment comes upon it is not destruction and not annihilation in that sense. In fact, I love this quote from a commentator uh, who says this about the ships of Tarshish, which is what I'm kind of keying on. The judgment that will visit the ships, where'd you go, uh, of Tarshish is of a purifying sort. We might here think of the breaking of the ships of Tarshish as more like the breaking of a horse rather than the breaking of a vase. The judgment here is meant to tame, not destroy. The ships of Tarshish will be harnessed for service in the holy city, and it is their former function that will perish. We talked last week about the difficulty that we experience in business and in work and industries. And every element of our life, sin has created a curse upon it, which means our souls, our bodies, and even our work is all under the curse of sin, which is why whatever industry that you're going to go into, whether you want to title it secular or sacred, it doesn't matter. Sin is over every different kind of industry that you could go into. Everywhere you go, you're going to find authorities who are incompetent and immoral at times. You will find coworkers who are jealous and who will cut you in the back just to get ahead of you. And you will find projects and tasks that fail and fall short of whatever it is you imagine because often uh, our vision always gets outpaced by what we can actually accomplish. It always falls short. <laughs> Work has difficulty now. But in the midst of the difficulty that we have now, in the midst of the different ways that our industries fall to the curse of sin and are broken, A day is coming when, yes, God will bring judgment upon all industries, but it will also bring about restoration and a redemption and a purification of those industries potentially into a coming kingdom. I'm pretty sure you've probably never heard this kind of message before. I'm pretty sure this might be a different kind of idea for you. 
And as we begin to think about what's coming in the future, the reality is we have shades and we have shadows and we have contours. <laughs> Even as we'll look at Revelation chapter 21 and 22 later this morning, we're not going to see a specific vision of, of how work looks like and whether we have an engineer just doing his thing. We don't have it to that specificity, okay? But it seems to have a few breadcrumbs along the way that are providing us a trajectory to have an expectation that there is some kind of continuity with our work now with what's coming. There is some kind of continuity. Uh, in fact, I noticed in verse 13, uh, we, have, uh, we saw that the cedars of Lebanon were going to be judged in Isaiah 2, but notice verse 13 of Isaiah 60. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the juniper, the box tree, and the cypress together. I didn't know what a juniper was or a cypress, but the fact that he says the box tree, they're all trees, all right? If you're not a botanist, okay? The cedars of Lebanon were judged in Isaiah 2, but here comes the lumber industry again in Isaiah 60, or the botanist industry, if that's your thing, okay? And it's there again in Isaiah 60. That whatever judgment came to it, as Isaiah pronounced it in Isaiah 2, doesn't lead to its destruction or its cessation, but it leads to its purification and redemption into a coming kingdom on the new heavens and the new earth. There seems to be a confident expectation we can have that work will exist in that coming kingdom. That industries will exist. And that I don't think we show up in the presence of God and stop learning or stop growing or possibly even stop having a task and something to do. I think for many of us, as we think about the future, we're bored with it and we find it not compelling and we're confused by it because really our view of it is really obscured. And as we begin to think about what we are designed for, what we're passionate about, and the opportunity to to step into those passions, to step into those tasks in honor to glorify God in which our work is our worship, that's what we seem to see in the coming kingdom that's to come in a new heavens and a new earth. It's interesting, Isaiah 60 says there in verse 11, Notice again, verse 11, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 11. Your gates will be open continually. They will not be closed day or night so that men may bring to you the wealth of the nations. It's interesting you have wealth again there. And then lastly in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 14, the sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you and all those who despise you will bow themselves at the soles of your feet and they will call you the city of the Lord. Revelation chapter 21 and 22 will also speak of a city that's going to come, the city, the new Jerusalem that will come down forth from the heavens and onto the new earth. Isaiah 60, Revelation 21, 22, both speak of a new city that's going to come. And the interesting story arc of our Bible is this, that Adam and Eve begin in a garden with a task of work. And it seems that the trajectory and the story arc of our Bible is moving from a garden with man at working to a city with man who's at work. We're moving from garden to city. That the great dignity of our work was going to be to the development of the natural created order. And what we see moving forth from our scriptures is that art continues. The establishment of culture, the establishment of industry, the establishment of development continues on as we go from garden to city. As that new heavens and the new earth are created, we don't start back in a garden. We don't go from paradise lost to a paradise regained or back in <laughs> with the animals naming them. We come back in Revelation 21 and 22 to a city, not a garden. But it's really interesting. Last quote for you guys for the morning and for our series comes from this guy. And he says this about the gospel and about the restoration and redemption that comes. He says this. I think it's fascinating. The work of Christ, therefore, is not just to save certain individuals. 
That God's goal, God's call for your life is not just to save your soul and get you out of hell and into heaven. That he's got a much broader plan for the plan of redemption. Anthony continues and he says this, the total work of Christ is nothing less than to redeem this entire creation from the effects of sin. That purpose will not be accomplished until God has ushered in the new earth, until paradise lost has become paradise regained. Paradise lost is when sin came into a garden. Paradise regained will be when Christ returns in the establishment of a city, of a new heavens and a new earth, and heaven comes down onto earth. There is continuity, it seems we can say, from the present world order to the world order that's coming. Because we go from this to a city that's going to come. If God gave you and I the task of work in a garden before there was sin, why would we think there's not work in the paradise that's going to be regained and recaptured when Christ returns? If that task had dignity before sin came along as we were in the presence of God, why would we think that task will be absent in the future that we're looking at? Why is it we have this idea that God will destroy everything and wipe it away, therefore, in such a way that there's no continuity, there's no connection with what's coming? Because when we buy into that overemphasis on destruction, we lose all meaning and all significance in the present. The reality for you and I, as we talked about last week, is work, school, the different venues that God has put us in, that he's gifted us in, that he's shaping us and transforming us in, are difficult. But if there's a connection with what's coming, and if work is going to come in the future, then there's all the more motivation to endure well now. There's all the more of an understanding that what we see now has meaning and it has significance because it's coming back in the future in a redeemed and a restored state. We're not just floating in the heavens with a harp, without a body, and with nothing to do. But the new heavens and the new earth will be in the presence of Christ. It's clear and it's compelling. And frankly, we're just scratching the surface because we really don't know that much more. But it's going to be amazing. And if it is, and if what we're doing now is moving towards that day, then invest your lives well. Invest your skills, invest your talents well in the present, and endure well in the face of the difficulty of authority figures that at times are incompetent and immoral. Love well co-workers who are jealous and who will cut you in the back to get ahead of you. And endure well in the midst of your industry or your work when it doesn't come forth like the way that you envisioned it could be. Keep pressing forward. Because eventually we're looking toward a city that's going to come in which it seems that these industries will resurface by and large. And that we'll have a task and we'll have something to do. We won't be having a couch potato, couch potato existence in the day that's going to come. The paradise that will be regained will be way better than anything you could think or imagine. And therefore, work towards it now. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for the series of these last six weeks. I thank you for the things that you've taught us about work. And frankly, I think hopefully the ways that you've allowed us uh, to see our faith and the way that it integrates into every arena of our lives. Lord, we're so good at compartmentalizing. We are so good at creating separate little areas of our lives that we have control over and sometimes block you out of. Lord, help us to not be just Sunday Christians. But Lord, I pray that our Sundays and our faith could spill over into the work week, into a school week as well. That we would begin to see that every arena of our lives you are Lord over and every arena of our lives our faith integrates and speaks to and transforms and calls us forward. Lord, I pray in the midst of looking at a future that is still shadowy and unclear, Lord, I pray that you would begin to elevate and help us reimagine it in clear and compelling ways. 
And that vision of the future would reorient our present pursuit of work and our present experience of it so that we would invest our best towards it. Trusting that you are moving history, that you are moving our world towards something that will matter and be significant and will have continuity with what you're going to bring about in the future as we go from garden to city. Help us to see areas of our lives that are not inherently evil, but areas of our lives where we can serve and we can worship you in it whether it's in a classroom, whether it's in a boardroom, or whether it's in a bedroom, Lord, that every every unit of our lives, you have marked your claim over. And Lord, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit, we pray. Amen.